0: But before we get to all of that, uh, I would like to tell you about an experience I had uh, in August. Uh, I went to probably, other than church, maybe the most sacred place in all the universe. I went to the Molyneux Stadium, uh, which is the home of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, a picture may appear. Um, it mightn't. Um, but I did go, I promise you. Uh, and I went to... Uh, there we go. Look at this. So this is me. Uh, you can tell that. That's my dad and that's my sister. Apparently, they both look a lot like me. Is that true? Ah, the lucky people. Um, And so I was at the football, and uh, it was the first game of the season, first home game of the season. And uh, it was against Man U, and got there early, really excited, and had a a pint before the game watching all the fireworks and the pre-match stuff. Sadly, having got there early and having had a pint before the game, and experiencing what I'm going to subtly describe as perhaps a weakness in the bladder area, must be my age, Um, I needed to do the most unforgivable of football sins, which is that halfway through the first half, I needed to get out of my seat and go to the loo, and I was that guy, and I had to shimmy past everyone, and they're all like, and I just sort of did that. And when I was on the way back, I was underneath the stadium in the concourse bit. Can you picture that? Kind of if you've been to a stadium or an arena. And there's the bars on the side and the screens. And suddenly, as I was walking down there, there was this phenomenal roar. Like, roar! Like this. And it started to shake. And then it was immediately followed by, Riff! Riff! And then, oh, oh, oh! oh, and then loads of applause, and then a big sarcastic, way, and then, who are you, who are you? There was all this phenomenal, thank you, all this phenomenal noise and shouting and shaking and volume and passion and drama, and I had absolutely no idea what all the fuss was about because I couldn't see it. It wasn't my fault. I just couldn't see it, so I didn't know. I didn't understand. I didn't sense what all the fuss was about right because I couldn't see it and I start like that because I think for some of us if we're honest Christianity and Jesus is a little bit like my experience then that there's an awful lot of noise around this guy we were just in quite a bit of noise did you notice about this guy and all this passion and all this drama and all this singing and hopefully no kind of aggressive swearing at referees. But, but there's a lot of passion generated around this man, Jesus. And some of you, you just don't see what all the fuss is about, if you're honest. Because you don't see it. It's not your fault. That's not how sight works, is it? If you just don't see it, you can't help that necessarily. But no matter how hard you try, you just don't see what all the fuss is about. Maybe that's true of you because you're new to the Christian faith and you've come into our community. I want to say so great that you're here. But if you're honest, you do spend a little bit of the time that you're here thinking, why are they all so into it? (laughs) Like, it's fine, but what's all this about, right? Maybe, though, that's true of you. If you've been around church for ages, you're a Christian. And really, you've been around so long. You've heard so much about Jesus, that you've kind of lost what any of it's about. And it just feels like you don't see it anymore. Today, God wants us to see it. He wants to show us what all the fuss is about. He wants to wake us up and open our eyes. And you don't have to try really hard to see it. That's not how sight works. But God wants to do an eye-opening to you this morning. He wants you to see it, maybe for the first time. And maybe for the millionth, he wants to show you what all the fuss is about and how it's going to work. So we're going to look at a chapter of the Bible or, or some verses of chapter one of 1 Peter. I'm going to read them out in a moment. And uh, I'm going to guess that as I read them out, you won't necessarily instantly see it because there's words and sentences and it's a bit tricky. That's fine. Then what we're going to do is slow down and go through it and we're going to see that Jesus absolutely changes everything about your past, about your present, about your future. We are going to look and we are going to, I pray, see again why people are mad for Jesus and why you should be too. We're going to see. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 12. If you have a Bible, feel very free to open it. When we're preaching at Church Central, we we always put it up on the screen because we want to be really good for you if you've kind of never been to church, don't have a Bible or whatever. We also encourage you to bring one if you have one so you can check that I'm not making it up, but it's going to be up on the screen through the talk as well. So let me just read it to you. It takes a few moments. It says this, all praise to God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay and through your faith God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure Many trials for a little while. That's probably my favorite definition of the Christian life. Many trials for a little while. Verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. We haven't physically seen Jesus. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls verse 10 this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you they wondered what time or situation the spirit of christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about christ's suffering and his great glory afterward final verse they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I don't know if you see it, I haven't just read it out but they, they saw it. The angels, these heavenly beings, that if one of them came visibly into this room now, we would all run out in terror. They are that majestic. And they look at Christianity and they are eagerly watching it. So they see it. The prophet's In verse 10, they saw it. The prophets, these stalwarts of many world faiths, Abraham, Moses, they look into this and even the small glimpse that they got, they wanted to see more. And then Peter's readers see it, saw it. Verse 8, it says, you, the people he's writing to, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. So they saw it. The question this morning is, do you? Do you see what all the fuss is about about Jesus three things he totally transforms our past our present and our future firstly he totally transforms our past i want to ask you what is your relationship to your past I'll ask you to think about that for a moment uh, many of us would feel a great sense of thankfulness gratitude we would have come from privilege and we want to be very grateful for that Many of us would feel huge pain when we think about our past, a sense of regret and shame. The reality is that for all of us, there are things in our past that absolutely haunt us. Whether you're really good at life or not, there's got to be, hasn't there, stuff you've done that you regret. Okay? There's got to be, hasn't there, specific things you remember doing in your past there's got to be hasn't there specific mistakes things you said to people ways you responded to people in your past there's got to be as well hasn't there a load of stuff that was done to you in your past maybe some of you know that stuff that you look back on and you feel shame about what happened to you that's in your past there's stuff that was said to you said over you and that's in your past Whatever it is for you, however Christian you say you are, all of us in our past have a ton of mess and mess-ups and mistakes and stuff-ups. And that would be completely fine if we could leave the past behind us, like all the memes and gifts tell us, and just head on into life and no regrets. Woo, yeah, don't think about the past. Now, I'm all for that. If it worked, it doesn't work. The reality is for each of us, we walk today with our past still experiencing us, us still experiencing our past. We walk into today with the hurt and the mess and the the nonsense still with us. It affects us. And No matter how much positive thinking we hear, many of you know it's very difficult to walk free of the guilt and shame of the past. And then Peter says something really amazing. He says in verse 3, He says, we have been born again. We have been born again. That's very funny language, isn't it? Born again it's got quite a lot of baggage on it that that phrase i had a, a friend who when i became a christian they said rich finally you've become a christian please don't become one of those born again christians though i think they had a specific vision of what that might look like or maybe a specific accent or whatever it might be that they've seen around the world but whatever it is they just sensed that to be born again would be a very bad thing i want to argue that the offer to be born again is the greatest offer imaginable because here's why doesn't everybody in here and everybody out there Long for the chance to start again. I think people do. Isn't that what weight loss adverts are about? The new you. Isn't that what makeover shows are about? Redemption stories are about? We love this stuff. There's one day more than any other in our culture that we think like this, and it's New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, there's this collective wave of kind of, you know, Kebabs and booze. But as well as that, there's this collective wave of energy, optimism, belief that somehow by the drawing of a calendar year, we can step out of our past and step into optimism and newness and freshness. We can leave behind the fact that we didn't cycle enough or we ate too much cereal late at night in the previous year. We can step into newness. There's a new me. We even use that language. Our secular society uses the language of a new me right? But then kind of uh, a few days later, we realize, as we're eating our cereal late at night, not on our bike, that actually just the changing of a date doesn't produce newness in you. But well, we wish it would, right? Now, some people have described uh, the kind of this thing as a bit of an image of when you get a new diary, And if any of you are old-fashioned enough to have a a paper diary, you get a new diary, big day, and it's clean and crisp and fresh and empty and white and beautiful and lovely. And you get that, and you haven't scribbled anything out in it yet. You haven't missed a meeting. You haven't burned out because you've put too much in it yet. It's just fresh. Don't you long for that experience? And then Christianity says that truly in the center of reality that is you, in the core of your being, you can have a fresh start. You can be born again. Born again. Now, how does this work? Uh, Verse 3 tells us, it says, we can be born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, when I first read that, that didn't really land with me. Here's why. Why does it matter what happened to Jesus? So, Jesus dies, right, and then three days later, he gets a new start. He gets his new diary, and he's up and fresh and ready to go. He's new again, right? Well, what does that do to me? Because I've got all this. So how does this work? I just want to introduce you to or remind you of an idea or a teaching or a doctrine in the Bible called our union with Christ, Don't worry about the language, but here's the idea. The idea is that when we put our trust in Jesus, we become tied to Jesus. We become stuck to Jesus. We become united to Jesus, okay? It's like a three-legged race, okay? And in a three-legged race, if I want to go over here, that person needs to come with me because they're tied to me, okay? (laughs) And if they want to go over there, I need to go with them because I'm tied to them. And we become, not physically, obviously, but spiritually tied to Jesus when we put our trust in him. Which means that in a sense, when Jesus died on the cross, he died instead of us, in a sense. And we love that stuff. When Jesus goes to the cross and he says, I'll take the punishment for all of their mess-ups. I'll take it so they never have to. I will die in their place instead of them. And that's a huge part of the gospel. But also, in another sense, when Jesus died, because we're tied to him, we die with him. When he goes down into the grave, we go down into the grave as well. It's why Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. And you say, You're looking good on it, mate, if you're writing a letter about it. No, you weren't. But spiritually, When you become a Christian, you you share in the death of Jesus. Now, we symbolize this in baptism, don't we? If you've ever seen like a full-on, proper, wet baptism, uh, the dry us, the, the stale us, the us that was opposed to God, we represent in baptism, goes down into the waters, goes down like Jesus did into death, we symbolize, okay? And all our stuff goes down with us. But then... Because Jesus rises from the dead to newness of life and we're tied to Jesus, remember? We're united to him when he comes up out of the grave without any sin on him, without any of sin and death holding him anymore. As he rises, so I rise as well because I'm tied to him. Romans 6 puts it like this. For we died and were buried, here's that language, with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. There is a new you. If you have put your faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ. Has become a new person. The old life. Is gone. It's gone. A new life. Has begun. I was asking you the question Do you see it? You've grown stale. Do you see what all the fuss is about? Everything our society longs for, the chance to begin again, we have it in Jesus. Now, some of you, clever ones, you're saying, But I've made loads of mistakes since I've been born again. Now, me too. <laughs> me too. Oh. So we, what do we need to do? Do we need to be born again, again, over and over? And every time we come to church, we get born again, again. So we get a fresh start again and muck it up again and get a fresh start again. No, when you muck up as a born again Christian, you don't need to be born again, again. You need to remember that you are born again, that you are new, that when you went back to your rubbish bag and started mucking around in all that stuff again, that was not that you became un-new. It was that you as a new person forgot and went back and mucked around again. You don't need to be born again again. You need to understand you are new. Now enjoy it, accept it, live in it, revel in it. Jesus has totally dealt with our past. Do you see it? Number two, Jesus has totally dealt with, totally transforms our present and he does it in two ways. Firstly, we are protected in our trials and we have purpose in our pain. Firstly, we are protected in our trials. It says God is, present tense, God is protecting you by his power. I went to a a birthday party of a friend, an old friend recently, uh, a few months ago. And it's one of those parties where you want to go, but you don't want to go. Like, you know, you should go. And you, you probably will enjoy it when you go, but you don't want to go. It's the old friends, and they've all become kind of slimmer, more successful, and more attractive, and more cool. And then I was there as well. And, and, you know, you go along. Oh, and I asked them, I said, what's the dress code? What's the dress code? And they went, no, just come. Just come. It doesn't matter. Just it's just great that you're coming, Rich. It's going to be great. Just come. It's casual. Just whatever. So I went kind of like this. It wasn't casual. It wasn't casual it was like upper smart cash. There were gowns. And I'm like there like, oh man, what am I doing here? And it was a bit awkward at the start. I I asked a friend uh, how her relative was and I got the wrong name. And they're like, you should know that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And it's just terrible. Um, but as the night went on, I began to just have kind of one-to-one conversations with my friends. And I'll tell you what, some of the crises that they were facing in their life underneath the shiny happy people insta they were experiencing some things now i just wondered i don't know how you'd answer this what do i have to offer those people what do i have to offer those people because i do not have in my rights to offer them the right to be protected from those trials i do not have that in the christian faith whatever you've heard never says that you'll be protected from that stuff. It says you'll be protected in it, though. That in your trials, God protects you within them. So that those trials that we face, many trials for a little while, need not define us, ruin us, defeat us, crush us. They will not have the ultimate say about who we will become. They will not have the ultimate say about our future, these trials that we face right now. They don't because God guards us, protects us by his power in our trials. You know, the Bible and 1 Peter particularly talks an awful lot about Jesus as a shepherd. It talks about this language a lot and it talks about kind of leaders in the church as being shepherds under the shepherd. And uh, there's a lot of things in the role of a shepherd. Uh, There's uh, guidance, there's taking us to green pastures, feeding us, there's still waters, there's uh, giving us a drink, there's all of this stuff. You know, a huge part of the biblical role of a shepherd is to protect. Think about it. When you're a sheep, just imagine, right, you're on the hillside and it can get very dark and it can get very stormy. And there can be attacks that come for you. And the job of a shepherd in Bible times was not to stop it getting dark or to stop it getting stormy or to stop attacks from happening. It was to within the darkness, within the storm, within the attack, to protect, to guard. And you know, I felt that night this overwhelming, phenomenal sense of otherworldly compassion rise up in me, not mainly that my friends had to walk through those experiences, but that they had to walk through them without a shepherd. And if that is you here, and you walk through the many trials for a little while, without a shepherd, I'm not having a go at you. You were not made to live like that. You were not made to have to do life without a shepherd. There is a better way to live. You can be guarded. It says of the Christian, God is protecting you by his power. Think about that the power that breathed out in that amazing song we've been singing. What a song. The, the billion galaxies, the hundred billion stars, who breathes out all of that by his power. And now, if you're a Christian, he is channeling and concentrating his power. That power. To protecting you in your trials, so that they will not be the end of you. I'll ask you this question. Do you see it? You see what all the fuss is about? And secondly, we have purpose in our pain. It says this: You must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It, that's your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now, sometimes people say of my generation, I am a millennial. Confession time, I'm a millennial. Uh, And the generation under me, which is Gen Z or Gen Z, if you call, and it's a kind of student age, uh, high school age, they say of our generations that we are terrible at suffering, that we have no resilience, no endurance, no perseverance, that we're, we're flaky, we're snowflakes. And we don't know how to suffer. I don't think that's true. People in our culture, people in my generation, put themselves through phenomenal pain all the time if they believe that it is worth it and it has purpose. So people, not me, but people pound themselves into the ground at the gym because it is not purposeless pain. It produces health and strength and emotional well-being. And so we absolutely grind ourselves to oblivion at the gym because it has purpose. It is productive, you see. People still today, if they are blessed in that specific way, choose to have nine months of discomfort, nine hours of horror, three years of no sleep, and a lifetime of worry to bring children into the world because that pain is not purposeless. To bring life, to bring life is worth it. Uh, Other people choose to undergo the horrors of chemotherapy to be poisoned by the NHS because it has purpose. That we would pray would bring health and life again, a new start. I don't want to say that pain is not the problem that my generation has. Purposeless pain is a problem that my generation has. I do not know how to walk through purposeless pain. No one does. But the thing is, in our culture, because we're so smart and clever, we've told everyone there's no purpose. We've ripped out purpose. There's no ultimate purpose. Your DNA, mate, you just evolved well. You're no more valuable than a cucumber. You just evolved well. And so, what happens to you, there's no, we say blind, pitiless indifference, Mr. Dawkins tells us. Your life is blind, pitiless, indifference. And then they wonder why I find it hard to walk through suffering if it's indifferent, if it's random, if it's just a joke. No wonder we're flaky. (laughs) And Peter says it isn't true. Peter says trials are something different. Trials are fire. They are not the, the fires of hell that the Bible speaks about, that we would believe in, absolutely, to to punish or destroy. It's not those fires. Jesus, on the cross, took those fires for us. And we will never have to face them. But instead of that, they are the fires of refining. You know, I don't know about this, but I googled it to check. Silver and gold, apparently, in and of themselves, are not up to much. But then they go through this process of refining where they are deliberately heated to astonishing temperatures. Not because someone is out to get them, but because in there somewhere is something of such immense value and beauty that it is worth the heat to get rid of the mess because what is left is going to be of substantial gold, of beauty and strength and value. And the Bible says that our trials, our many trials for a little while, are fire like this. And there would be a range of opinion, and it's not my place to kind of get you into one school of thought. There'd be a range of opinion on where our trials come from. Does God send our trials to us? Does God allow our trials to come to us? Does the enemy bring us our trials? Do we end up in our trials because we're thick? There'd be a load to say on that, not today. What you need to know is whatever you believe about where they come from, even unspeakable horrors are not purposeless and they are achieving something glorious in you. And you don't have to be able to map this through. And in fact, it would be pretty much... Lib and inappropriate to try and do this. You don't have to map this through in the midst of your tears and in the midst of your hospital visits or the dark nights of the soul. You don't have to be able to go, this horrible thing is happening to me, but it's okay because God's going to make me patient. You don't have to say that straight away. What you have to do is you have to look to the cross and see with the eyes of faith that unspeakable pain can be used for phenomenal good. do You see the logic there at the cross? That if God can work salvation, redemption for the cosmos. Out of the unjust murder of his son. He can weave. He can weave something beautiful through the trials of your life. Even unthinkable tragedy can be used by our God. To make something beautiful of more value than gold in you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see what all the fuss is about? Lastly, Jesus transforms our future. Uh, Glenn Scrivener, who's a a writer an evangelist and a a preacher, uh, he says this in a little book on the Christian faith. What is life? A tragedy or a comedy? This isn't a question of whether life is hilarious. Mostly it's not. It's about whether life is hopeful. A tragedy has joy, but it ends in pain. It is shaped like a frown, up, then down. A comedy has pain, but it ends in joy. It is shaped like a smile, down, then up. So what is your life, tragedy or comedy? See, in a a godless existence, This right now is as good as it gets. Just is. You're from darkness. You're heading to darkness. Oblivion is coming. No one will remember you. And Peter says, not true. Not true. For followers of Jesus, hold on. Because for you, this is as bad as it gets. And we are heading for glory and redemption. Peter is saying to them, And to us and to me and to you, that whatever is in your past, whatever you face in your present. If you are Christian, then your future is bright. And it specifically looks like priceless, indestructible, joyful salvation, he says in this passage. You have an inheritance if you've got your faith in Christ. Verse four, that is priceless, as in no money could buy it. I don't know how much money you've got in the bank, how much inheritance you're getting. This is priceless. As in, you don't have to pay for it, and it's better than you could ever imagine. And it's coming. It's indestructible, verse 4. It says, there is an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Everything's changing all the time. And you know, in life, everything changes all the time. And so often things don't go as we planned, relationships end, money runs out, hopes are dashed, cars get scraped and nicked, loved ones get taken from us, dreams go by the wayside. Even church, which is meant to be heaven on earth, can feel like that, but kind of in the early adolescent stage of it growing up into that. And church can disappoint us sometimes. just want to say that. But coming is a future That will not fade, will not disappoint, will not need to grow up and get better. It's a stunning future that will never be robbed from you. It's secure. If your hope is in it, you can be secure as well. It's joyful, verse 6, it says, joyful, there's wonderful joy ahead. Do you have tears in your eyes today? Do you have tears in your eyes tomorrow? There is joy coming. Everything sad comes untrue. Every tear is wiped away by the hand of Jesus. And it is everything good about the universe, family, feasting, friendship, turned up to a 100 forever. It's a wedding. It's a party. And every day is better than the day before. And that is coming for you in a little while. And then lastly, it's salvation. It says the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I don't know what chains hold you, what prisons you feel you're in. One day you will be fully and finally forever saved if your trust is in Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross and he's taken all our judgment. We will never face the fires of hell. We will never face oblivion. We'll be raised to life with Jesus and saved. So I ask you again, do you see it? Do you see it?